Hi, everyone. I'm John C. Morley, the host of the Jaymore Tech Talk Show and Inspirations for Your Life. Hey guys, it is John C. Morley here, Serial Entrepreneur, and of course your podcast coach. Uh, it's great to be with you on another amazing episode of the Jay Moore Tech Talk Show. Uh, today is October 13th. It's our second Friday, and I'm very happy because we have just launched our brand new YouTube channel, the Jay Moore Tech Talk Show. You can get there by going to youtube.com. Um, forward slash at and then just the Jay Moore Tech Talk Show. Uh, that is a channel exclusively just for the Jay Moore Tech Talk Show. Um, and this way it's not lost in all the other stuff that was on the Jay Moore V1 Jay Moore channel, which we still have. Uh, and we have the older shows there, but uh, all our new stuff is going to be coming here. And of course, you know, we have the um, podcast and the audio format that comes out 24 hours usually after the show. Uh, I do want to thank you guys very much for being here tonight. It means a lot to me that you're here and that you keep coming here because I have some amazing stories uh, to share with you, and I have some great guests coming up the pike. So this is really, when I say cool, this is really, really, really cool. Um, whether you're here at uh, 5.30 p.m., uh, Friday night, or whether you're here 5.30 a.m. in the morning on a replay, 12 noon, 12 midnight, 3 a.m., 3 p.m., thank you, thank you, thank you so much. I work hard to bring you high-quality content that you need to know about and can help you make some very viable decisions in life uh, so you don't waste valuable time and money. Before we get into the show, I definitely want to let you guys know what I do. All right, ladies and gentlemen, so I am a podcast coach and a specialist in helping businesses tell a story that leads them growing and being more scalable and profitable. I typically work with companies that bring in about $10 million or more. They have a story they want to share, or um, they don't know what the story is, and they need me to find out what that story is, and then we create it, and uh, we share it out with uh, their targets and people get curious, ask questions, and um, that dialogue learns uh, about a lot because you'll actually be able to share with them information and educate them, not sell them, but educate them, and thus they're going to learn that you can solve their problem, and you know what? They're probably going to do business with you. All right, so um, let's get right into the show, everyone. I've got so much to share with you. We're going to start out with the evolution of CNC. What does CNC stand for? So CNC uh, has been around for a long time, Computer Numerical Control. 
But before we can actually talk, uh, I'm going to say about CNC, we have to learn a little bit about, uh, you know, its heritage. And so, um, as I said, CNC has been around for a very long time. Um, in fact, John T. Parsons is uh, pretty much known as the father of numerical control. I'll share that with you in a minute about what that means. And he conceived and implemented with the help of an aircraft engineer, Frank L. Uh, Stolen, um, the son of a Michigan manufacturer, Parsons began working in his father's factory as an assembler at the age 14. So what did he actually do? Well, um, when he was, uh, you know, uh, leaving the factory and he wanted to obviously put things together that are going to make uh, the world a better place, more efficient place, there was a lot going on, right? We had the Cold War and uh, people needing things and stuff to produce was expensive. So he decided that he needed to find a way to make parts cheaper and, of course, more reliable on a consistent basis. So he came up with numerical control. So what is numerical control? It was the beginning of more sophisticated uh, manufacturing. And so what it is is you take a machine that uh, has mechanical controls and they're retrofitted with servo motors, very specific motors that can have very um, accurate precisions. And so um, he hooked those up and then with the help of an NC machine concept, he basically was uh, using um, holes that were punched on a card, called a punch card. He fed that into the machine, and each hole actually directed um, the servo motors to allow the machine to be calibrated to a specific point. It was moving that, or if it was adjusting motor, depending on what it was. And so this was pretty cool. And this was the first time that this ever, ever had been done. I think that's uh, pretty amazing. So the uh, NC machine uh, is where it started, but it didn't stop there, okay? Uh, it actually moved forward into something called a CNC machine. But before we can get into a CNC machine, we have to understand a little more about servos and synchronization. So... One of the challenges for automation um, was the specific tolerances that were needed of a machining process. Um, they were routinely on the order of thousands of an inch. And although connecting some sort of controls to a storage device like punch cards was easy, and they can make sure the controls were moved to the correct position with the required accuracy, um, but this took a lot of um, trial and error because it didn't just work the way they wanted it right away. And the movement of the tool resulted in varying forces on controls that would mean a linear input would not result in a linear tool motion. In other words, a control such as that of, um, let's say, a jackward loom could not work on machine tools because its movements were not strong enough and the metal being cut fought back against it with more force than the control could properly counteract. So um, we had the NC machine, and then we evolved to the, uh, yes, we evolved to 
the CNC machine. Now, here's the thing I think that's really cool. So uh, the first CNC machine was developed in 1952 by a team of researchers working at MIT, Massachusetts Institute of Technology. And this advancement followed the development, as we said, of the first numerical control machine uh, in 1949. And um, this, this, was, this was, when I say, pretty amazing. So NC machines is where we started. Then we went to CNC machines. And then we went to DNC machines. So DNC machines are direct numerical control okay so you might be asking hey john this is confusing what the heck is the difference between nc cnc and a dnc machine well i'm gonna tell you so an nc machine um is basically a programming technique that uses punch tape as i said and tape readers and cnc uses a computer uh to store code and a machine controller unit to read the code fed to the machine. The benefit of this is that you could loop programs with the NC machine. Um, the card would go in, and then later on, they figured ways to have the card, you know, like pull back, but that was just more problematic. And a DNC is a network of multiple CNC machines that connect to a single um, main uh, let's say, computer network. And the machine programming techniques help create parts with the highest level of precision, such as in the um, um, industry for uh, war and other uh, aerospace-type uh, um, parts, which had to be a very specific tolerance. And today, these machines are regularly used in manufacturing industries, such as uh, woodworking, metalworking, and very, very important, but numerical control is a computer-controlled machining process that uses punch tape to provide machine instructions to different types of equipment that have already been in the industry for many, many years, including cutting tools, could be welders, uh, could be um, cutters, uh, fabricators. Um, the list is pretty much endless. Uh, a lathe, a uh, drill, and the NC controller converts the instructions into specific uh, directions to allow the tools to move by activating the machine's, let's say, transmission. So a typical NC machine generally has three axes, an X, a Y, and a Z, to move in a three-dimensional space. So you design, you code, and you get the part. Seems pretty easy, right? Computer numerical control. It's a technology that allows you to control the motion of a machine by inputting commands to an electronic interface, usually through the combination of a computer and sometimes a microcontroller on board the machine. Now, a computer is used to create a digital design of the part you need to make and convert into a program that the machine controllers can read and implement. Today, we have things like, um, you might know things like 3D printers, right? Well, that all evolved from this. A 3D printer is a specific type of machine that extrudes the filament that you're using, depending on what it is. And um, you start by the different coordinates, and then it basically heats the filament up, and it starts to be ejected out of the head. And so the thing is, you have to be familiar with G-code. Now, I'm not going to get into that too much on today's show. If you want to know more about G-code, I would tell you to watch some of my shorts 
uh, by going to the JMOR V1 JMOR YouTube channel, and you can see all my great shorts. And so G Code does things like tells it where to be on the positioning, uh, the XYZ. It tells it uh, whether to uh, flood the unit with coolant, because when you're using machines like this, they can uh, burn up very quickly. Uh, and, and that's a big problem. Uh, when to stop the flooding of the coolant, uh, maybe to open a door or enable a conveyor. So there's lots of things like that. DNC is when we have a whole host of CNC machines that are all tied together on one network and reported back to a server. So they can get uh, statistic information and, and process information as well as make recommendations on how to improve the plant's flow control. So DNC is a type of automation technology used in manufacturing industries to link multiple CNC machines to a main centralized computer. Pretty easy, pretty simple, right? So what's the difference? So an NC machine uses punch tape. CNC uses a computer system. A DNC uses a computer system that's part of an entire network. Um, on an NC, you can control one machine. On a CNC, you can control one machine. On a DNC, you control multiple machines. An NC has the ability to modify the existing program is very low in what you can do. On a CNC, it's high, and on a DNC, it's extremely high. There is no feedback on an NC machine. On a CNC machine, you get some. On a DNC, you get even more. The NC machine has a low volume production, and on the CNC, it's low and medium volume production, but on a DNC, it's high volume production. Uh, maybe you have a factory that has to make the same part over and over again, and you're doing kidding. And so you have to kind of make sure the machines are all working at the most efficient way possible. So when we think about CNC machines, we have to understand that they are helping us create things that, let's say, humans could not do that quickly and that many times without making a mistake. Uh, hobbyists have played with CNC machines, small businesses, and even large industries. And I remember one of my clients many years ago in the IT industry didn't really know what CNC machines were back then. But I had the ability to get exposed to them and learn a little bit about what they were doing, but I really didn't understand a lot about them. Now I can appreciate them more. Um, and this customer was way ahead of its time. Uh, they had large factories with several CNC machines. And so their wide usage is uh, obviously connected with their cost effectiveness. Uh, they say that if you have a CNC machine, it'll probably be like paying uh, a worker $5 an hour. That's below minimum wage. So DNC systems are employed to control multiple machines at the same time, and they are best suitable for large businesses that manufacture repeated parts, like in the space industry. So, of course, when we think about a CNC machine, we have to always understand what the application, I think that that uh, is a given no matter you know what we're talking about. But CNC has definitely evolved. So, we call it CNC machining. The advantages of using a CNC machine are, one, that they basically uh, have a very high precision. Two, uh, they produce extremely accurate parts consistently. Three, you can choose a variety of materials, providing that the structural anatomy of that 
let's say, um, uh, material will be able to be constructed in the design you want because it might not be able because of heat or because of other limitations. So you have to make sure that the the actual um, medium you're using will work. And those are things like heat tolerances, stress resistance, hardness, fastening, and even design tolerance. So you have to be aware of that. And depending on whether you have a CNC machine or not, you could check for the materials supported before even embarking on this. Uh, things like aluminum, brass, stainless steel, uh, steel and plastic, just like on a um, flash forge that we have that does 3D printing, you have to know um, what type of filament's going in the machine, what you're making, and you have to calibrate the machine for that. And so the development of CNC technology has really amazed people. From 1952 to 1958, the Cold War became intense, okay? And in 1952, Richard Kegg uh, with MIT made the first CNC milling machine known as Cincinnati Millicron Hydrotel. And Kegg uh, later filed for a patent for the motor-controlled apparatus for positioning the machine tool in 1958. Between 1967 and 1972, CNC machining was becoming more recognized across the world. And it was due to computer-aided design, CAD, and computer-aided machining, CAM. Uh, development in 1972. Now, Canon CAM um, in the inclusion world of CNC machining led to massive developments in CNC machining, uh, but the two were not regarded as a standard part of the manufacturing process. 1976 to 1989, um, it was in 1976 3D computer-aided design and computer-aided machining were included into CNC machining. In 1989, CAD and CAM software controlled machines and became the industrial standard for CNC machines. Software like FabraTrack, FabraWin, okay? Uh, one program uh, that would actually help you create design, another one that would actually send it to the machine. Um, so FabraTrack, FabraWin was the program that actually uh let you create your project and then send it off to the machine controller so you might be asking some very interesting questions when we talk about you know uh the evolution of cnc machine um there's going to be ai in these machines coming up and you might be asking john is this going to affect somebody who has a good job uh that does cnc programming the answer is no because AI systems are not going to be able to make a specific uh, program that's 100% accurate. You're always going to need to tweak something, okay? It's just going to be impossible for it to get everything correct. There are just so many variables. So what are the applications, if we were to think about that, of a CNC machine? Well, you've got the automotive industry. Um, you've got consumer electronics. Um, I don't know if you know this, but the uh, Apple MacBook chassis comes from aluminum subjected to a CNC machining process. The aerospace and the military rely heavily on this. The two industrial sectors are major users of CNC machining, and it's because of its high precision and accuracy. CMC machining is ideal um, because it does produce on-demand replacement and upgraded versions of any parts. You know, even some um, auto body shops are using CNC machines to actually produce um, maybe another grill or a cover. 
and they can do that very easily. CNC machining is great for prototyping. It's good for production. It's also good for making your own tools so you can make a product that you want. So CNC machining is very unique. Um, it has been developed um, from a wide uh, dichotomy of uh, people and uh, industries. And um, as we said, the first CNC machine required a punch card to now the software-based machine that requires very little guidance. So the NC machine required an operator that was a lot more skilled. A CNC machine does not need that. You don't have to be as skilled in the uh, actual uh, machine ink. So that means that you can hire people at a lot less money because they don't need to be machinists. Uh, CNC machining is the top manufacturing process incorporated into many industries. And so when we think about, you know, um, Parsons and what he did being a computer pioneer in conjunction with MIT, um, the research was on, you know, the efficient production of helicopter blades and the stiffer skins for aircraft. And so CNC application is being used at both the industrial and the manufacturing levels in making parts. And due to its advantages, um, you can make parts easily. But you know what also you can do? You can actually um, design your model, and you could submit it to a company, and they can do, um, M, I'm going to call it MAS, uh, machining as a service. Uh, and there's even uh, DAS, designing as a service. So there are ways to get your 3D model printed um, without having to spend money on the machine just to test out your concept and see, you know, what's going on. So uh, I want to talk to you about a couple specific CNC machines. So there's some very specific ones. One is called a hot wire CNC machine, and it can cut through certain materials like foam very, very quickly and precisely. There is a door matching CNC machine. This one blew my mind. So you're all familiar with the door. It not only will cut out where the lock mechanism goes, it will route out where the actual, let's say, open mechanism goes. So when you turn it, it'll route that out. It'll route where the door jams are. Uh, it'll even drill the small holes for where you actually have to put the screws in for the hinges. Pretty cool. And uh, it does all of this very quickly and um, with little to no human intervention. That's just like wild. Did you know, ladies and gentlemen, that in 2022, Ann Klein's Forensic Center in Trenton, New Jersey, had patient information exposed when a vendor of transcription was hacked? And not only that place, but also the Trenton Psychiatric Hospital was also affected. Um, the affected patients uh, obviously received a letter alerting them to the breach and according to the uh, state's announcement they did this uh, but people who were a patient or continue to be a patient at either state facility uh, which is located in mercer county um, they told them they were free to contact uh, a confidential call center to determine if they were among those affected so they didn't want to give a lot of information out publicly but they realized they needed to you know, let people know if they were affected. Sometimes when this happens, they will give you a free year of monitoring service on your credit. 
And so the statement they made, which I want to quote, it says, we regret this incident occurred and are sorry for any inconvenience this may have caused. Of course, the state declined to identify the vendor that maintained the records for medical translation and dictation purposes, and the company notified the state about the breach on June 30th. So uh, this happened back in 2022. But I bring this to your attention because a lot of these facilities, it could be state, it could be just a regular hospital that is not state-run, they are not... Um, let's say, safe from attacks. And I always say to you, it's not a question of if you're going to get attacked, but when, if you're not properly protected. And you guys need to make sure, uh, as well as these institutions, which they obviously didn't, that they are being protected on multiple levels. I'm talking about malware. I'm talking about web filtering, vulnerability scanning, patching. And I'm also talking about sandbox detection. And so sandbox detection is to prevent you from zero-day threat uh, attacks. And so what it does is um, it puts files into a sandbox, and if they respond badly or in a manner that is conducive to a virus-type program, it gets quarantined. You can even set these programs so that they will not allow the program to run on your system until the full tests have completed in the sandbox. And a sandbox is nothing more than a virtual environment where the program can run, but um, the program can't get out. So whatever it does, it can't contaminate. It can't affect any other systems. So it's a controlled environment. So that is something, you know, really, really cool. And I think it doesn't just stop with the state, ladies and gentlemen. I think it goes all the way on to, you know, your local uh, doctor's offices, uh, even your banks, um, even places like... Um, even your township, your borough. I know several not too far from me that got hacked um, with a ransomware attack. And the question is, why are these municipalities not putting in the appropriate technology to protect them? If you don't have some type of protection that has a subscription base on it, then you're toast. Because threats come out frequently and you need to be updating your system or you could be uh, the brunt of an attack. All right, so um, Biden's eyes are aiding AI chip curbs to the Chinese companies uh, abroad. And, and what's this all about, ladies and gentlemen? Well, I think this is just an initiative. Uh, the Biden administration is considering closing a loophole that gives Chinese companies access to American AI, artificial intelligence chips, uh, through units located overseas. And this was according to four people uh, that had been familiar with the matter. And the U.S. last year shook relations with Beijing when it unveiled new restrictions on shipments of AI chips and chip-making tools to China, seeking to thwart its military advances. In the initial round of curbs, the Biden administration uh, left overseas subsidiaries of Chinese companies with unfettered access to the same semiconductors, meaning they could easily be smuggled into China or accessed remotely by China-based users. And um, in June, 
um, the very chips bared by the U.S. regulations could be purchased from vendors in other electronics areas in the southern Chinese city of Shanghai. So Washington is now reviewing ways to close this loophole. And sources have said a move that has not been previously reported is going to take place. And the efforts to close the loophole show the Biden administration is struggling to cut China off from AI technology and how difficult it is to plug every gap to export uh, the controls. And a quote I want to share with you, according to Greg Allen, a director at the Center for Strategic and International Studies. Absolutely, Chinese firms are purchasing chips for use in data centers abroad. And I feel, you know, it's a problem. According to uh, Timothy First, um, at a uh, person at the Washington-based think tank center for new American security, um, Chinese persons can completely legally access the same chips from anywhere in the world. There are no rules about how they can be accessed. That's a problem, ladies and gentlemen. And I'm going to say this right now. We, as a country in the United States, need to be making our products here in the United States and not relying so much on China and other countries. If we would have done that years ago, we would not be in the tobacco we were in. And I don't even think we would have had the COVID attack that we had. I still believe, ladies and gentlemen, that that COVID attack, and I'll say it here again, I believe it was not an accident. I believe it was planned. And um, I also believe it was planned to kind of cripple the world. And the next step of it was to exploit people, which they did automatically. They did exploit people. So I think it was part of an order. I don't think it was um, just an accident. I also don't believe that when your internet's been going down, which a lot of times has been going down, you guys know, I don't think that's an accident. I think that's planned. And you might be saying, John, why? Well, if you yank out that technology that's not working, it really causes an issue. But let's just pretend for a moment your water supply. And let's say you don't have access to your water. Or maybe there's a boil restriction or what have you. But let's just say you have no water. What do you do? You go buy water. Do you go to a store and get it? Or do you have to go to a well? And I think what we find out is that we're now willing to be subjected to paying higher fees because we're desperate to have a glass of water. Now, I'm talking about there's no water in a local store. There's no work, water in your house. No water in your friend's or neighbor's place. There's no water for 30 miles. You can't even order water on Amazon because they're out. Hmm. That means to me that life has a plan. All right. And that plan is to unfortunately abuse the American public. I think there were just too many hands in the fire. And I think that's why the COVID thing happened.
there wasn't the right type of regulation. It just wasn't. I mean, that's just the bottom line. So I think more things have to be made in the United States. We'll be able to lower the price and we will be able to be more self-sufficient and create more jobs in the United States. Here's a doozy. You heard me talking about artificial intelligence, right? And talking about the fact that what happens if somebody being an AI engine, using that AI engine by someone, and it gives them information that was previously created by myself or someone else. Let's say it was a graphic design that we created and suddenly it found that and took it into its system. You now can block things like the you know, chatbot and uh, chat AI. You can block those. There's ways you can block them in your uh, robots.txt file. And we talked about that on a previous show. But if you can understand this, then you'll know what I'm saying, that we need to be more self-sufficient on what we produce in here in our country, right? Why aren't we producing all these chips? Why did we have to have a partnership with China to come over here to build our chips? Why? Why couldn't we do that ourselves? Yeah, we own the building, but who cares? We have some people in the building, but we don't run the building. And I just learned this not too long ago. That's a big issue. That's a huge issue, ladies and gentlemen. So what I want to share with you is the fact that uh, what if that data gets in the wrong hands? And what if an AI engine, chatbot, 3, 3.54, whatever, 4.55, disseminates that information out to people? And now those people take that as original content. That's a problem. However, Google, this one really kind of pisses me off, to defend generative AI users from copyright claims. That seems like an oxymoron. But what does that mean? Well, according to Google uh, yesterday, which was Thursday, um, I want to quote exactly what they said. It will defend users of generative artificial intelligence systems in its Google Cloud and workspace platforms if they are accused of intellectual property violations. Joining Microsoft... Adobe and other companies that have made similar pledges. So now what we're saying is we're going to allow people to operate in a manner that is not ethical or moral. First, we're saying we've got to create a whole new legal system. Now the big boys are saying, okay, I get what's happening, but we're not going to stand for this. And if you're using our platform, don't worry, we're going to go to bat for you. So companies like Google have been investing very heavily in generative AI and racing to incorporate it into their products. And writers and illustrators and copyright owners have said in several lawsuits that both the use of their work to train the AI systems and the content systems create violate their rights. But Google is now saying that they're just going to go ahead and allow that. And here's another interesting 
quote that I want to share with you um, from what a company salesperson spokesperson had said uh, at Google. And I quote, to our knowledge, Google is the first in the industry to offer a comprehensive two-pronged approach to indemnity that specifically covers both the types of claims. That's a problem. Google said its new policy applies to software, including its Vertex AI development platform and Duet AI systems, which generates text and images in Google Workspace and cloud programs. The press release did not mention Google's more well-known generative AI chatbot program, BARD. And the company also said the indemnity does not apply if users intentionally create or use generated output to infringe the rights of others. Okay, so what that's now saying is we're going to defend you, okay? But if you have blatantly, okay, directly intended to steal content, they're not going to protect you. So my question is how the heck are they going to validate that? AI defendants have said that the use of training data scraped from the internet to train their systems qualifies as fair use under U.S. copyright law. I think that law needs to be thrown out. I think it needs to be thrown out. And you might be saying, John, why? Because we're allowing a system to train on data, okay? And supposedly it learns information, but suppose it makes a wrong decision. I am very disappointed with Google's um, response. Disappointed doesn't even cut the mustard. So I want to talk about disappointment for a moment. You know, disappointment can happen not only with your friends or colleagues or family, it happened with your vendors. So um, I was ordering from a company, I'll tell you the company, Amazon. And about, um, I don't know, a week or two ago, I ordered some things. And uh, the product was scheduled to be delivered on October 9th, a few days later. October 9th came, they said the product was delivered, but never saw the product. They didn't give a picture. So uh, they said you have to wait 48 hours. So I waited, obviously. Uh, Tuesday, I waited till like Wednesday. I called them up. First, I had to go through and literally chime in like at least eight times. Every time I got through to somebody, they kept disconnecting me, saying that, this is just not, you know, uh, that they can't help me. Or you go through and then a person picks up and then they hang up. Is that the system? I don't know. One person, I said, I'm not happy. I said, I want to talk to someone. And she hung up on me. We all know that Amazon does not want you to call them. That's no surprise. They want you to work with tickets or texts. That's a big problem. So I was disappointed. So this product that I ordered, I called back, it was yesterday, told them what was going on, and they said, okay, John, you have two options. We'll either ship you a brand new product to replace what you ordered, or we'll give you your money back. What would you like? I said, I'll take the new product. 
got the new product uh, ordered. It's supposed to come now Monday. We'll see if it actually comes. A month ago, I had uh, ordered a book. The client was delivered, and I was within one day of the return policy. Because I was in one day and I called the same place and I said, I need a refund. Oh, she's like, oh, I'm so sorry on that one, sir. Uh, I don't have a refund option. I said, what do you mean? I, I can't refund you. I said, well, that's unfair. She said, I'm so sorry about that one. So I wish they would have a better wherewithal. I wish they would treat their customers better. But Amazon, I'm going to say this right now, does not want phone calls. Does not want people to call them. I will tell you that it seems like it makes sense, all right? But Amazon does not want to talk to you. They just, they just don't. All right. Let's jump in and talk about our last topic of uh, the evening, which is what's coming in Windows 12. I know we just got used to Windows 11, and yeah, Windows 12 is, uh, yes, on the uh, horizon. So Windows 12 is coming out, okay? Uh, Microsoft hasn't officially commented on whether it's developing Windows 12, but uh, from some credible sources... Uh, they have screenshots and seem to gather other data about Windows 12. So possibly um, a subscription model will be coming out for Windows 12, rolling out Windows services to people very easily. And um, they might be coming out with a Windows 12 that is free, but um, paid for by ad-supported. And we call it a free ad-supported version. It's scheduled to release, they're saying, in 2024. And we may not see a 2022 H4 Windows 11 if they do indeed release uh, Windows 12. So it's expected to have uh, AI features built in. We all know what Copilot is, right? It's supposed to be more than that. And able to switch to lightweight modular code nicknamed Hudson Valley. The good news is the updates to Windows 11 Windows 12 will not be as dramatic as Windows 10 and Windows 11. So if you are eager to learn about this, you could sign up for the Windows Insider program. So you could sign up for the Windows, uh, they call it the Windows Insider. And um, I think that's going to be interesting. So the Windows Insider program is something you can you can Google. Um, you can do you, you have the ability to do the Windows 11 PC gaming, then they have the Windows 11 uh, productivity. okay, you'll see some different things, but you can join the inside Windows 12 um, platform. And you can get this um, software, and you can play around with it. So in order to do this, uh, you can just Google Microsoft Windows Insider. You can register. You must sign up with your Microsoft account, work account, 
uh, or Microsoft Learn student ambassador account in the Azure Active Directory. And um, you will get uh, the non-stale versions that you can play around with and give feedback to other people. All right. So the question you might be asking me, John, is uh, what are um, the minimum requirements for Windows 12? So they're saying that Windows 12, again, they're saying possibly, because, again, it's kind of leaked. Um, the question is, what's going to be the requirement? So um, they're saying Windows 11 is turning into Windows 12 right in front of us. Uh, but, you know, um, they're saying that uh, DeskModder, um, which is one of the commenter, claims that Windows 12 might support the Pluton coprocessor, which was first introduced on the Ryzen 6000 mobile CPUs in January 2022. As a protection, Windows 12 will likely use the same TPM 2.0 trusted platform module for a security crypto processor that was seen on Windows 11, despite Microsoft testing out SHA3, a secure hash algorithm 3. And so there's no word on whether there would be a boost in minimum storage. Uh, Windows 11 is uh, 64 gigabytes. However, NeoWin noted that Microsoft could nix hard disk drives in favor of solid-state hard drives. Now, I've been on that for a while. So if you're using legacy technology, you're going to have issues. Windows 11 is expected to be cloud-powered and AI-driven. So you know what that tells me? That tells me that uh, the software is only going to work if the internet's up. That's a big deal. So again, these are just speculations, but we're going to have to see what happens, you know, where it's going. And are they going to query the people about Windows 12 or are they just going to do whatever they want? Well, hey, guys, I am John C. Morley, serial entrepreneur. It's been an amazing privilege, of course, a pleasure and honor to be with you this fantastic evening. I hope that you will definitely. I'm going to ask you right now if you would please, ladies and gentlemen, show me some love and subscribe to my content. Um, support it. Share it out with everyone you know on social media. And then, ladies and gentlemen, go to BelieveMeAchieve.com. And that'll get you my link tree, just like you see on the screen right there. And you can check out all my amazing content, which will empower you to become a better version of yourself. Remember, ladies and gentlemen, success is not a destination. It is a journey, a continual journey. But some of these points have me concerned, and I don't know what you guys think. But uh, it sounds like the people with the big pockets are going to just placate this AI thing. And although they have the money to do it, I think it's not the best thing for people and society. That's my biggest concern about artificial intelligence. Big concern. So definitely share this out with them when you know on social media. Of course, click on that link. Help keep our content free. The PayPal link and make the choice. Buy my team and I a cup of coffee, a bowl of fruit, or a scrumptious bowl of desserts. Either way, we'll be grateful for those pays and dollars. We'll invest into new hardware, new technology, new equipment, new software, even new facilities to give you the most jaw-dropping motivational content to empower you to have an amazing life. 
I hope you guys have a fantastic rest of your week. Uh, it is, yes, October 13, 2023. And I'm going to be back on Friday next week, October 20th, 2023. Where did the month go, ladies and gentlemen? Like, where'd it go? So check out all my amazing content. Check out BelieveMeAchieve.com or scan that QR code, which you can see right at the top-hand corner. I just popped back. I think the biggest thing that we have to understand is that our content has to motivate people. And if you're creating valuable content, it's not going to be long before people are going to want to share and talk about your content. Um, I've told you this before. The reason I don't get banned on any platform I post because I don't sell anything. I just educate people. I hope you guys have a fantastic night. And um, I'm going to be back tomorrow with more Jay Moore Tech Talk. And, uh, of course, you're going to be able to get this video on all the new videos now from Jay Moore Tech Talk on the brand new Jay Moore Tech Talk channel. I hope you guys have an amazing evening and a really great week. I'll catch you next week on Friday, ladies and gentlemen, and that is October 20th. Have yourself an amazing rest of your day and a great weekend. Take care, everyone.